0: The Unconventional Therapist Guide to
1: Nothing. Hey everyone, welcome to the Unconventional Therapist Guide to Nothing, a place where each and every week we take a topic, theme, or thing. Overanalyze it and make it all make sense in the scheme of life, living, and mental health. My name is Dave. I am one of the hosts, one of two hosts. I have another mm-hmm. host here. His name's Greg. Greg, what's up, bro? Hey, Dave. How are you? I think this is going to be a fun episode
0: because we're, this is what we know right to business. Right to business. Right to business. Look, I, I mean, look at this. Look at this guy. Everyone. I'm all business. right. To business. And you know what's interesting is because the thing we're talking about today is a form of therapy that is right to business you get right to business. It's supposed to be quick. It's supposed to be fast acting. That's what it's all about. But hold on, let's back up a second. Because when we think about, especially now, things have changed a little bit for me. Now, when I think about how we feel about ourselves, I think it's usually a reflection of how we were treated as a child and, or or maybe some kind of trauma, you know, positive or negative. We tend to see things different than how they actually are like we think in stories dave right so like for example i when i used to come back from the navy like some some people would see me family members would see me and they would think to themselves oh like he didn't have time to stop and say hello to me he didn't have time like what, what is he mad at me is it is it oh, this oh greg
1: look at him he thinks he's so much better than us now oh military boy look at him right
0: right so they're these people they're, they're telling themselves stories and when the reality is, I don't even, I didn't even tell my parents I'm home. I was visiting maybe a lady friend and I knew, I was in and out, you know? So if they, they're telling themselves stories, the events stay the same, but the story they tell themselves makes them either feel good or bad. And that's just, that's just how we act as human beings. And to get a little grasp on that, we have to use a form of therapy called cognitive behavioral therapy. That
1: sounded weird, but CBT, that's why we call it CBT. Yeah cognitive behavioral therapy. This is a term that it's amazing how many people are actually getting familiar with. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is when you go see a doctor and you describe something that's going on in your life, they might say, I feel like you should go talk to a therapist and they could do some C- some CBT or some yeah, cognitive yeah. behavioral therapy. Yeah. And I think it's so funny to hear like medical professionals telling people they they need cbt because then they come to you and they're like oh i think i need this like cbt thing like what is it and it's like oh uh all right let me let me try to help you understand this and i almost wish they wouldn't do that because like i would rather like get to know the person before i tell them like oh we just got to change the way you think yeah like then they they look at it
0: like that's it Yeah. You're like, if you change the way you think you change the way you feel and you're like, Oh, that's it. That's all right. See you later. Thanks for nothing. Yeah. Because it sounds so easy, but really it's, it's very complicated and it's, it's structured. Yeah. It's definitely evidence, evidence-based. So it works, it works, it works really well. And, and like we said, it's designed to work really quick. It focuses on that relationship, Dave, between your behavior, your thoughts and your feelings and this like interactive process.
1: So one of the like things I love to do is like give people you know analogies. Like we when we talk about anxieties and like with choices and stuff like that, I'll I like I'll bring out the Netflix one with like the browsing all the movies. Mm-hmm. With with um with CBT and thoughts, I'll often like if I'm sitting in my in the office with a patient and you know, disclosure Greg and I share an office in the same practice <laughs> yeah. and where there are alternative days. We're not both we're like, doing like, giving, great yeah we're not giving therapy to people at the same time like simultaneously um no but we we're there on um alternative days and uh our office is rather eclectic uh i have brought in a number of random things and you know so we have some cool little craft
0: and, and... <laughs> yeah <laughs> a lot of like
1: uh, dream catcher type objects. (laughs) I I like native American paintings. Uh, so yeah, no, we have a lot of weird stuff in there. So I'll, I'll kind of like pretend that, you know, it's me and maybe Greg in the office and I'm looking at one of the things in the office and I'm thinking to myself, look at that statue over there. That's beautiful. That makes this office look so great. And because of that, I imagine everyone must walk in here and just feel good about seeing it. And that gives me such a sense of pride. So because of those thoughts I'm having about the statue, I immediately start to feel good. Greg walks in and goes, oh, great. Dave brought in another statue. Now everybody's looking at us like, what the hell is that thing? We look like a bunch of quacks, especially me, because they don't know that Dave even exists because he's not here right now. And everybody thinks that we are just jokes. Yeah, like we're,
0: we're practicing Wicca in here. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but that's what it looks like. Or it's a vibe we're giving off. Yeah.
1: Because and it, of the way you're thinking about it, you feel like a pile of crap. Mm-hmm. Like the most worthless pile of crap, right, Greg? A, that's you feel. Absolutely. That's how I've been feeling. Um in the office. <laughs> that's how <I've> been feeling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, so like it's we're both looking at the same exact thing, but we're both having very different thoughts about it. And I think that's such an interesting concept because we all walk around looking at the same stuff thinking a lot of times we think it's our external that makes us feel away but it's literally how we're thinking about that external that is impacting the way we feel it's not the statue it's not the the little trickling waterfall that we have in the office that has right. some dust on it that we need to dust uh it's not that stuff it's just the way we're looking at it and the thoughts that we're having well it's even even like things
0: as simple as you know you get an argument with your if you're in a relationship, you get an argument with someone, is it the argument that gives you the emotion, the negative emotion? It's, it's like, we think that's how it works. We think that there's an event and then we have an emotion about it. But the reality is there's an event. We think about it and then we have the emotion. So the way we perceive any or like our perception of any event is, is whether or not we're going to feel good about it, bad about it. Right? It's so like if you get in a car accident, you can feel really I'm now I'm scared and I'm now is it because of the car accident or is it because you're afraid that you're thinking oh is it going to happen again? What if so I'm fear. in the same spot with it's the thoughts.
1: Fear. It's always the thoughts. There's nothing good or bad in the world unless you think about it. So what you just highlighted there though is how fear can take over thoughts. Sure. So when you have a situation and you've gained your perspective of that situation has now given you an emotion like fear that takes over all your feelings about anything that's tied into a situation similar to that? Yeah, 100%. And we'll get more
0: into that when we're talking about our interventions on how to treat these automatic or intrusive or negative thoughts. And But first, let's talk about what this CBT could be used to treat. And I I think it's pretty much across the board. I mean, depression and anxiety, for sure. Those are phobias, absolutely. Sleeping issues, eating disorders, OCD. Substance abuse, bipolar. And, you know, it's listed that you would be able to treat schizophrenia with it, but I don't really see how that would work. This is, I, it really relies on your effort and it really relies on a lot of insight, doesn't it? Isn't that kind of. Yeah.
1: I mean, it, it would be interesting to hear somebody describe how that process would work, but not out of the realm of possibility. And what I do find, unless you are a straight up CBT certified therapist, the chances of you solely using CBT in therapy or your therapist that, you know, you as a listener and your therapist using solely CBT, unless they are a certified CBT therapist, they're probably using maybe elements of CBT. Hmm. They may be using, uh, some techniques or strategies, but probably pretty rarely are they solely using CBT unless they are, like I said, an actual, like, like that is an actual certification you can get. And some people solely use it, but most of us kind of are eclectic and we use a little bit of everything. Yeah. I think you have to be, I think it's almost uncomfortable to be strictly anything because to be strictly
0: CBT, it's, you don't care about what happened in the beginning of their life. You know, it's very personalized, which is great, but you don't care about their, their childhood. Nothing really matters. You just want to know what their behaviors are now that they want to change now right? What thoughts are they having now that are causing them to act a certain way, causing them to feel a certain way? It doesn't really matter where they're coming from. I'm not saying that I don't think it really matters. I think that where, knowing where it comes from is a huge piece of it. And then using, you know, components of CBT to, to help that is, is a good way to go. But CBT on its head, it's just basically, we're trying to change the way you think to change the way you feel. But one thing about CBT is it requires a lot of effort. There's there's typically a lot of homework involved. Isn't lots right of it? homework.
1: Lots of homework. Lots of trying, like worksheets can definitely be involved. Um, I've definitely given them to patients in the past. Um, you know, and, really. And you just, see them laying outside the door. When you, when you, It's so there. funny because like, Greg, right, I mean, I'm sure you can uh, relate to this it really doesn't depend on the patient. Like I know pretty much right off the bat, which patient I shouldn't give homework to or which ones I are willing to. The really eager ones might want it. Um, Whether they do it or not is kind of a let's see. But like, I also have a lot of patients who pretty much are pretty honest. Like I'm not going to do that. Like I'm, I'm like having a hard time even like, maybe listening to this thing that you asked me to listen to or watch this video at home. You you told me to give a look to, so I'm probably not going to do your worksheet. And I'm like, all right, fair enough. Right. (laughs) Sure. But but, but the
0: the reason why there is a lot of homework is one of the main goals of CBT is to help the patient become their own therapist. Yeah. So they're, you know, you're able to kind of work with your own thoughts. You're able to, because the homework, the idea is we want you to notice the thoughts. We want you to notice the thoughts that you're having, the way that they're making you feel and the things that they're making you do. That's very important. And sometimes you kind of need to be all over it in the beginning until you start practicing. Okay, so, and I can't wait till we start talking about examples because I think that's going to be a really fun thing. And I think it's going to be super helpful to people. But the idea is really just to teach the patient to identify their their negative thoughts to evaluate them and to respond to their dysfunctional thoughts in more rational way i think that's essentially what we're trying to do
1: so and i think you kind of already mentioned this but i mean there are some places and some therapists who use cbt and this they're talking like fast results and i'm not gonna lie uh i'm not a fast results type of therapist like i don't know that i hope that doesn't sound bad but it's like i kind of invest time. I get to really like, I like deep diving and really getting to know a person as much as possible. And that doesn't always, uh, coincide with getting fast results. Well, Dave, I don't think
0: that's, you know, I have to stop you there because you know, I've, I've spoken to some of your patients and it's not that you're trying to get these super fast results with CBT and homework and everything like that, but what you do and why people keep coming back to you as I see them, you know, come through the door over and over is because you instill hope you make them feel comfortable and they feel like they're heading in the right direction. And I think that is fast results. You know what I mean? I think that's part of it.
1: Yeah. So I, I, all right. Well, thank you. First of all. And (laughs) second of all, um, yeah, so I guess what I, what I assume they mean when they say fast results is like you're in and you're out. Mm. Like they're not there for the long haul with you. They're not there a year later saying like, oh, so what's going on today? Uh, It sounds like, you know, there's usually a a kind of a dedicated amount of weeks. Yeah.
0: It's like eight weeks, but I think that's all insurance based. I really think this thing is part of like, Becoming part of like the mental health machine where they yeah. want people in and out, and we see that all the time. Where you'll you'll be talking to someone for a few months, and then you get a call from the insurance company yeah, why still justifying
1: them? why you're still there. And it's like there. I why thought mental health weak- was a big weak- deal. I yeah. thought that's you know I thought that's what was going on. Yeah, and I also kind of just want to make sure this is very clear. In no way, shape, or form are Greg or I actually saying anything negative about CBT with the fast results thing or anything like that. Because I think we're both very much. Subscribers to CBT, hundred percent, and like use it quite a bit.
0: Yes, but we, I, uh, so we are, but we don't think it's the only answer. I think it needs it's it's an important tool. Yep, that's that's what my feelings about it. So let's talk about where this thing started from, like the origins of CBT. All right, Greg, dig in. All right, so we're going to start with philosophy. All right, then move on. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I know. I won't spend too much time here, but I have to. I had to give it to the Stoics because. Their whole idea, like Stoicism, is based around this idea that you cannot control the things that happen to you. The only thing that you can control is your reaction to it. And they also believe that you can choose your emotions, or you can at least manipulate the way you feel by looking at things more rationally. And this is like thousands of years old. I mean, that sounds really familiar. And there was a couple people listening, and their names are Albert Ellis and Aaron Beck. These guys are pioneers. Albert Ellis created rational emotive behavior therapy. And basically the idea behind this was to challenge unhelpful thoughts and avoid negative emotions or behaviors. That's basically it. And I want to talk about one thing that he used that was really helpful. And and this is where people are going to start seeing how this could be helpful. So he uses something, he created something called the ABC model. And the ABC model is basically, there's an activating event. There's a belief And then there's a consequence. So the the event is like, it could be anything. So for for example, like you hear your window rattling in the middle of the night, right, Dave? So this is a real world example we're going to give people and show you how this works. So the window's rattling, ooh, right? So what are you thinking to yourself, Dave? Windy night. Okay, so you're not, you're thinking, what you're actually thinking is, oh my God, someone's trying to break into my house, right? So then the consequence is you're anxious, you're very scared. but if people are one step behind you dave we, we would take this whole sequence and we would say all right the windows rattling same same event you know you, whether you're a fight with your boyfriend whatever take any event the windows rattling let's change that thought just a little bit to it's a windy night for example it's a rainy windy night now you you have that same event you change your thought slightly." And now you're just slightly irritated. You're not freaking out. So taking this thing, you you take the whatever event it is, you take your thought and you take the consequence and you can see how just by changing that thought a little bit,
1: it completely changes the way you feel. So I've had to do this like a number of times. Yeah. Can you do you, maybe you have a better example? No, it's all about that. Okay. Like not window rattling, but I'll hear a noise downstairs or like. I'll hear a noise somewhere in the middle of the night, and I'll wake up, and I'll be like, "Oh my all <laughs> It's all I know My biggest fear, and then I will not be able to fall asleep. I will go and have to and go investigate. I will grab a weapon, and I'll be walking Dave. around town in my house investigating with a weapon. I think that that's backwards. I think that you're not.
0: You know what? Why don't I go ahead and go with a different example? so in order to fall asleep
1: eventually i have to you have to change that thought i thought i can't yeah. uh, so after i investigate and i've searched every area of the house mm-hmm. completely um, rational i yeah. will i'll go to in my room and say uh, i guess it was just a noise and not a home invasion and then i go to bed well thanks
0: dave that's a great helpful uh you know Adage that we we can probably use and this be very helpful for people. But I also like to think so. Now it's this time of year, right? It's it's yeah. <clears throat> late May, June. People are graduating. So say you and I are both students and we're about to graduate, and you made a ton of friends, and you're like, "Oh no, I can't believe we're graduating. This is so sad." And I'm like, "Oh, we're graduating. This is so great. I'm finally done with this stuff." You and I are experiencing the exact same event. We're thinking about it slightly differently. And we feel completely differently. Do you yep. see how it is? It's the what your thoughts can completely change the way you feel. And we have the control to we can't really control those automatic thoughts that pop in, but we do have the power to kind of challenge those thoughts. That's what that's what I'm saying here. We don't have to take those thoughts, those automatic thoughts as face value. So let's move on. So that's our that's our guy Alice, huge contributor. Obviously, that's like basically CBT right there.
1: That, did he also create Ellis Island? <laughs> yes, yep. He did named after him. He's he's got quite the uh, quite the resume. Really? Resume. Yeah. Wow.
0: And then we've got Aaron Beck, um, <laughs> who is Beck's father, the famous. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Singer. Yeah. yeah. I, can I can I tell a joke? I guess not. Um, what he came up with was the cognitive triad, and I know you're a fan of this. You actually turned me on to this. I don't know if you remember. I hope I didn't turn you on to it. But <laughs> there, nothing turns me on more than the cognitive triad, <laughs> and and then it's just something about how we feel about the future in ourself and the world. So like you would have, you would have someone ask them, you would ask someone questions like, I am the sort of person who, right. And this never really goes the way you want it to. And in, in session, you really have to guide it. But like, I am the kind of person who, and then they would say something about themselves. I In well, my fails experience. Fails
1: at everything. That's what they say. man yeah. yeah. they are yep, like, exactly. no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: but like, or, or like in my experience, the world is, oh, the world is a terrifying place. The boom, world's boom. a mean place.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: You get a lot of that. And when I think of the future, I see whatever. Right. So these are the things that you want to kind of find out what, how people view the world, because this is kind of the, the makeup of their core beliefs, which are essentially these. Well, we'll talk about this, that in a second. Actually, you know what? Let's talk about core beliefs because core beliefs right. are are important, right? They're, yeah. I, they're I, our most. I enjoy talking about core beliefs. Good. They're, so... they're like basic beliefs, our most basic basically yeah,
1: but when they become problematic is when they are based off an experience that we've had mm. and that experience has impacted us in a negative way uh so what tends to happen is we have an experience and that experience bl- brings a belief behind it so um all right my my parent hit me because i'm a bad child or i always do wrong i always mess up so that's why my parents hit me they this person then goes through life and anytime something fits a narrative or is inter- or they interpret a situation as being similar to that experience it strengthens that core belief so yeah. the next time they're in a situation where they feel like um something they got a negative response from somebody because of something they did wrong it goes back to I'm a bad person. I always mess up. And basically I deserve this response. And this isn't something that they're saying to themselves. um, Like they're not,
0: they're not super cognizant
1: of the, Yeah, not always. Sometimes they are, but not always. Yeah. It's like
0: sort of deep seated. And then you have like, there's middle beliefs. There's like intermediate beliefs where those are your should and must beliefs. Like if I, if I fail on this test, I'm a loser. If, if I, you know,
1: If I don't look a certain way, I'm not going to get a boy. But like, those are like intermediate beliefs. You know, I wanted to say this earlier when we were talking just about the principles of CBT, but like something that I think is inherently human. And I think we've probably talked about this before is we as humans tend to just focus on negative in general. We have to like, we have radar for negative. We will. And that, and that totally fits into the core belief idea. Because essentially what we're doing with core beliefs, especially when they're the negative, negative sort, we're almost looking around for like a negative thing that fits this scenario to strengthen our core belief. So we can say, aha, that's see, I, I knew I was a bad person or I knew I was, I always caused trouble and we want to affirm our negative belief, Like we, it's, we do that way more than we focus on things that, that affirm our positive beliefs about ourselves. Right? I tell people all the time
0: that the negative screams and the positive whispers. It's so true. Like, I mean, that's just evolutionary. We've talked about that a thousand times, like negative thoughts are what keep people alive, but we don't need that anymore. So we, we can't just accept every negative thought that comes in our mind. We have to challenge them. Oh, I'm not good enough. Well, hold on a second. Or I'm not going to, you know, when I ask the the kids in school about this stuff, like, I'm like, give me a, give me a negative thought that you want to challenge. And it's always like, I'm not going to ask this girl out because she's going to reject me. Well, I mean, what is the evidence for that? Like, how do you know? Like, well, you know, like, because I'm mad busted is what I was <laughs> exactly. And it's like, oh, well, does your mother think you're busted? Yeah, well, once she said thing. that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> My mom's the one that told me. All right, yes. <laughs> um, you know, is you know, it's interesting because as a society, we very much jump on people who say negative things to one another, but we rarely ever discuss how hard people are actually on themselves. Yeah. Like we're really quick to point out when someone's mean to someone else and like shame that person. But like, also I think we should kind of take a look at ourselves and how hard we are on ourselves and what that creates for us. I think it's, yeah, you're right. And, and it's, people are also
0: nowadays more than ever really quick to be mean and try to cut people down who are trying to do well, who are doing well. You know what I mean? I, we see that all the time too. Yeah. And, and I, and I think that like, maybe we experience some of that too. And we'll talk about that. Maybe I'll bring it up. Cause I'm, when it comes to these cognitive distortions and this is another thing given to us by Aaron Beck and this is something that is so useful and so important these mental filters that increase negative emotions they lower our self-esteem it's it's the opposite of rose-colored glasses it's, yeah. it's like looking through the world looking at the world through I don't know
1: let me let me kind of give my little analogy for let's do it let's get, dive in I I love cognitive distortions. They're a lot of fun and they're a lot of fun to talk to people about because people are like, Oh yeah, I do that one. I do that one. It's almost like you do them all. We do them all. We all do them. So for anyone who, you know, is savvy with social media, so not Greg, but maybe everybody else, (laughs) you guys might be familiar with the social media platform, Instagram. And you know, if you are on there, give us a follow and, you know, comment and stuff like that. But also what you'll notice about Instagram is when you go to post a photo, you have different filters they give you options to choose from. And I often liken cognitive distortions as filters. The image never changes, but based on the filter, you can change the way, the feeling of the, of the port, of the picture that you're about to post. It's almost like it gives it a, it gives it a story sometimes. Like you put a certain filter on it and you suddenly feel a different emotion, right? Like I put a vintage filter on a photo and I feel so much different than when I take it and I have no filter or if I put it in black and white or sepia, sepia, sepia. <laughs> yeah. Uh, whatever. I don't
0: feel good uh, about sepia. I don't trust it. I'm not a huge fan.
1: Also, like there's like those really like bright contrast ones, filters. So essentially the idea of these cognitive distortions, like Greg said, it's like putting on rose colored sunglasses. It's it. They are like different filters for the images we're seeing and they are going to distort our thoughts. So the first one, I'm just going to run through these. And Greg, you can give some examples and kind of elaborate on some of these. Sure. The first cognitive distortion we have is called magnification and minimization. So it's exaggerating or minimizing the importance of an event. So one might believe that their own achievements are unimportant, unimportant. sorry, I can't speak, or that mistakes are excessively important. So yeah,
0: um, example right off the bat. I was just talking to you about this because I'm, you know, contrary to popular belief, I can be a little sensitive at times. And we often have great people reach out to us and tell us, you know, this episode really helped me out all the time. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it and it'll really make us feel good. But when we get one person who maybe has something negative to say, we're like, well, should we throw in the towel? We're the worst. Like we discount all the positive and we just focus on the, on the negative, the one negative. So
1: that that actually fits into two different categories so that is magnification because you're magnifying you know the negative and you're kind of like minimizing just the positive or even like the achievement of having the thing that the people are even commenting about but it also goes into another one called disqualifying the positive positive. and i absolutely think that this one fits for so many of us and it's kind of that thing i was talking about about like Hyper focusing on negative around us. So it's that recognizing only the negative aspects of a situation while ignoring the positive. And the perfect example for this is like, and I did this all the time in school and in college and, you know, even after in professional work where you get positive responses from people or positive evaluations, but you get one piece of negative feedback and that's all you can think about. It's like it just takes over your thoughts. It's like, oh my god, I can't believe I got that, or that somebody can't believe they said that to me, or I can't believe they see me that way. But then, you know, in the same light, you got all this. Like, I'll never forget when we had to do, we had to do sessions when we started uh, our grad school, and our first practicum was, they were recorded, (laughs) yeah, and our professor had to watch it. Mm -hmm. The next practicum. In the the next class. practicum was the whole class, but the oh, okay. first one was just a professor and we only had to record like, I forget if we recorded all of them or what, and I'll never forget. I got a, She gave me a ton of nice statements, but the one thing she told me was like, I did not stop talking the whole time. <laughs> yeah. I was nervous. It was nervous energy. I was rambling anytime. there were, Like one of the things we're expected to do is embrace silence because silence is very powerful. And that allows people time to elaborate. And sometimes a thought comes up when they're silent. So like when you're talking in, during silence, you're not allowing for any of that extra thought to happen. And I was having such an uncomfortable moment in silence. And I just kept, like, I didn't even care what the question was. I would just start a question. I'd be like, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, how's your family life? It's, it's getting and, quiet in like, here. Yeah, I don't yeah. like
0: that. Well, her, her saying, like, making a comment like that, it's better than like, I thought you were going to say
1: something. She like commented on something that you were wearing or like you had a booger. No, or something. but Greg, that's, but like, that's the thing. Like she had tons of nice things to say about like the types of questions I was asking my response to certain questions. I, but I barely heard any of that. Right. All I could barely hear was, was I'm a rambling dummy. Yeah. You're like, so did I fail? Do I leave now? Should I just quit? You know, <laughs> Hey, you know what? I really thank you for this opportunity. It's and funny, I, but
0: it's, it's funny. But I, it's I, ba- really- I
1: gave a bow. All right, what else we got? I know you love these things. Overgeneralization. Okay, I'm listening. Uh, making broad interpretations from a single or few events. So just basically being like, oh, this happened and that always happens. I, like mm. kids do this a lot. I, I think it's always funny when kids, are, like, I always, I'm never able to get into one of the games or like I never get picked to play. It's like, ever. Like, you're always mean to me, Dad, when
0: like, you know, I'm not. I swear to God.
1: <laughs> okay uh, Magical thinking So the belief that uh, acts will influence Unrelated acts um, So like I'm a good person Bad things shouldn't happen to me It's kind of an example of that I think I think people do that pretty frequently yeah,
0: but That's the one I think is kind of true
1: Of course <laughs> We use some magical thinking and that could really work out yeah. uh, Personalization The belief that one is responsible for events Outside of their own control This one is huge mm-hmm. So Um, people don't even notice they're doing it a lot of times, like taking on other people's issues. Like I just had somebody the other day tell me that their mom has an illness that is brought like, it really is triggered by stress. And he said something along the lines of how like basically expressing that he feels responsible because she had to raise him. And that brought on a lot of stress because of all the things that she had to do while they were, while she was raising him and his siblings. And I'm like, you're forgetting that your mom also had an illness prior to you guys. Like, so like inevitably life stress would have caused this illness to, you know, get exacerbated at some point in time. Like, but you're taking that on, like that was your, a choice you made like, let me come out of the womb. Let me give my mom a lot of financial issues and other hardships that are going to cause this illness to yeah. really like put her where she is today. Like that that's an, not something that he can really take responsibility for, but he felt responsible for it. Yeah,
0: that's so that's making me think of a patient I had that is talking about sometimes she will, she has this person that she's in argument with and that person... Will like someone's like post or something, and she will feel like it's an attack on her, even though there's no mention of her at all. But she feels like this person is trying to attack her by liking a post of someone I, that maybe she doesn't like so much. One hundred percent have heard that before, right? That's the social media is a nightmare. Yep,
1: there's a lot of um, follow us on Instagram. <laughs> A lot of personalization in that, and also a lot of um, just interp- interpreting uh, somebody else's... Well, what one is that? Uh, I'm trying to remember the... Anyways, we'll get to... I'll point that out when we get to it. So the next one would be jumping to conclusions. So interpreting the... Oh, this that's what it is. Uh, interpreting the meaning of a situation with little or no evidence. Right. So she's jumping to a conclusion by saying that, like that that she's basically saying that this is what they were thinking. And a variation of this, of jumping to conclusions is mind reading. And that's, that's exactly what's going on. It's like mind
0: reading based on zero evidence. Yeah. Zero evidence. Your, your mood is completely changed. Think about the, first of all, think about that power that you've given that person that doesn't like you. They're liking someone. They're probably not even thinking about you at all. They're liking someone else's post and your mood has completely shifted because you're reading their mind and thinking it's all about you. That's
1: not good. Uh, that's, why, one that's when CBT is very useful. Let's challenge that. Yes, Let's challenge yeah. that. That's a that's a great one. Another reason is like you had given the example of before uh, about like a kid asking another person out or something like that. Like they will say something along the lines of, "Oh, they they probably don't like me. They probably think I'm lame or they don't think I'm attractive." You're basically predicting what they think. And you have no basis for that whatsoever. I love doing that kind of work with people and pointing that out to them and then saying like, what's the only way you can actually understand what they're thinking by asking them, okay, so how are we going to make that happen? Uh, another one is fortune telling. So that's the expectation uh, that a situation will turn out badly without adequate evidence. So just kind of like, again, predicting the future. Emotional reasoning. So the assumption that emotions reflect the way things really are. So if I like, if I feel like a bad person, therefore I must be a bad person.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I feel, I feel hopeless. So I must, I must be hopeless or, or even like something like traveling, like for myself, like I feel like airplanes are dangerous. Yeah. So they must be dangerous. Right. Just because I feel like they're dangerous. Right. I do feel like they're dangerous. Me Me too.
1: Should statements. So oh, the yeah. belief that things should be a certain way. So I should always be this. I should always be that. Uh, sh- I will typically tell people like we don't use should statements. No. Either you, did you didn't, you are, or you're not. Well, That's
0: the thing it. is too, it's like if you if you're saying should statements, like if they're direct against yourself, they lead to guilt. Like if right. so, if I sh- I should work out every day, that means any day you don't work out, you feel like shit. And and should statements that are direct against other people or the world they lead to anger and frustration or whatever. But also I wanted to point out Beck used to call them must statements, but he yeah. would call it masturbation. <laughs> I'm not even kidding.
1: Yeah. I heard that's, that. Before. That's Aaron Beck. Yeah. The, the, the founding father of CBT. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. You got two me turntables and a microphone. That's right. Uh, the last one is all or nothing thinking, and everyone's probably glad we're at the last one. Uh, well, so well, I don't know, because this that's, is, this is the
0: daddy, I think. This is the, the, the daddy.
1: I freaking love pointing out all or nothing thinking, because to me, all or nothing thinking, out of all of these, is one of the easiest ones to tackle. Because once you start noticing that you're doing all or nothing thinking, I think the the way to correct all or nothing thinking, I personally feel is like rather easy. Yeah. Because... When you do all or nothing thinking, which is thinking in absolutes, like I have to get all this done or I failed. So like a lot, a big one for people like cleaning a space, like cleaning your bedroom, cleaning your house, your apartment, whatever, like people will be like, or doing laundry. People will quit or they'll get overwhelmed at the thought of the fact that like they have so much to do. I'm never going to be able to finish this. I don't even, I shouldn't even bother starting. How am I going to start? If I'm like, what's the point of starting? If I'm never going to finish this all right, well, why do you have to finish this all in one shot? How much would you be okay with finishing Just and understanding that you're not going to get it all done? How much would you be okay with doing and and feel like, hey, I accomplished a little bit at least? Tiny steps. Tiny steps. Yeah, but
0: the other thing is too. Like, think about diets. This happens. I I hear this a lot with diets. Where it's
1: it's the biggest uh, thing against diets. It's the reason why diets rarely work.
0: Yeah, you you have like you make one slip up on a diet, and then you're like, "Well, fuck the diet. I'm gonna eat the whole tub of ice cream and order pizza." Yeah, right. Because the diet's
1: over. You're you're exactly right. Like that's a great example. And you know what? I said it's my favorite one because I feel like it's easier to tackle. I feel like it's easier to like explain to people how to tackle. It's also the one I get the most pushback about. Because some people feel like we're making, we're uh, allowing them to make excuses for themselves or we're allowing them to basically, you know, just, they, they feel like it's being too nice. And it's like, it's not about being nice. It's about not beating yourself up. Oh yeah. A thousand.
0: Well, I, I, and I still manage to hold them accountable. Like take it, take the diet for instance. Right. I would say, you know what? It's important for you to stick to the diet if that's your thing, right? If that, I don't, you know, if that's what you chose to do, that's what you chose to do. But give yourself like a system, like create a system. Like I, I, I like slips and slides. So you get two slips. And then if you, if you do the third slip, then it's a slide and then you've, you've kind of messed up your diet. So this, this means like. You know, oh, I had I had ice cream for you know breakfast or whatever. Okay, that's a slip. The diet's not ruined. I still got another slip before it became became a slide. So that way you kind of like built in mistakes because you can't really. It's so hard to do anything in absolutes. of only
1: stuff. yeah, the only time it's actually ruined or failed is when you've completely given up on it. Yeah, exactly. Other than that, you're exactly right. You're still on its course, and the real success is that day in the future when you feel like you've met your goal. But until then, as long as you're staying on the track of the goal, you're working towards a goal. And that is the actual achievement to be staying on a steady course, working towards a goal. I have a patient that I really hope is listening to this. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to get them to listen to this episode, but I hope so because they're infamous for getting upset with me when I reframe the all or nothing thinking because Mm -hmm. they feel like I'm allowing them to make an excuse for them and I'm not holding them accountable. But I think what you just said is exactly right. The failure is actually when they just quit. Yeah. A hundred percent. You, if you never quit, you can never fail. That's
0: what I tell my kids, you know? So, and I'm right. so now we've went through the, the distortions. Now let's talk about interventions. What can we do to, change some of these cognitive distortions because that's essentially what's making. So these, as we can see now, like if you're viewing life through these cognitive distortions, which most of us are, you're, you're, it's not the event that's making you sick in a sense, Right. it's the thoughts about it. Like you're not, if we're going to take a test for school or, you know, it's, it's exam time, you're not nervous or anxious about the test at all. It's not the test at all. It's not the event. You're anxious about what? The things that could happen, the, the thoughts around it. What if I fail it? Obviously, is a big thought. What if I have to go to the bathroom during it? And there's no like, there's all kinds of thoughts that you could be having that are making you anxious about the test. What if I didn't study enough? It's not the test itself. And showing people that. So let's think of, um, I mentioned something early on, and maybe it'll be fun if we challenge this thought. We'll challenge the thought right here. Um, I am not a good dad. Sometimes I feel that way you know, I work a lot and I, you know, I, I want to be home more, but you know, we have both have multiple jobs, so it's hard. Right. Yeah. So my thought to be questioned or challenged yeah. is, um, am I a good dad? What? Well, well, I'm a bad, no, I'm a, I'm a bad dad. You're a bad
1: dad. So <laughs> That's Greg, it. let me, let me, <laughs> let me ask you a question. Yeah. What is, what do you feel are the basic responsibilities of a parent? Um, helping the children
0: become independent little human beings someday. Okay. Nothing about actually
1: taking care of the kid. Yeah.
0: Taking care of them too. Feeding them (laughs) a place, like a place to live all these
1: things, all these, all these things. Do you take care of your kids? Are your kids well-fed? Are they, are their nutrition okay? Do you feel like they have adequate amounts of clothing? Do you, do they have all their, Oh, they have all their shots and rabies shots. <laughs> they do. They have their distemper, everything. They've got all that. <laughs> okay, so basic functions. Would you say that a meal's provided every meal, and you guys? Yes. Do that, right. Now, like, do you do anything beyond that? Yeah. You ever spend do. time with your kids. Absolutely. We play. You drop do. it. You're out in the yard. Lots of fun games. Do you ever go out with your kids like one to one, or you, you know, kind of get to know them? Do you know your kids? <laughs> Yes, I do. I, not always one-on-one, like I would like, because
0: there's so many, but I do try.
1: Okay, to, to but help. you you spend time
0: with your kids? Absolutely.
1: When's the last time you spent time with your kids? Today. Oh, wow. I thought one of the first statements we made was that you, you kind of feel like you don't spend time with your kids, right? N- enough time. Enough time. So what would you say is kind of like considered to be enough time? Yes, I, I never really thought about it. Okay. It'd be interesting to hear what you would think would be enough time. And to see like where you feel you fit within that. But from what I'm hearing, it sounds like you're, you know, you're basically able to provide all the things that a dad would need to provide, right? And it sounds like you do a lot above and beyond that as far as like spending time, even your thought about like when I first asked you what a basic function of a dad is, was like it was beyond just like that basic caregiving aspect. It was actually thinking about future versions of them and how you're molding them, which I think is actually like highlighting something about the way you even envision being a dad being way more than just the basic function of, hey, I took care of these kids. So So Dave, are you saying-
0: Makes you sound like a really good dad. Are you saying that me wanting to be a good dad and me being concerned about being bad dad makes me a good dad? I also think that, yeah, that for sure. Dave, this was a beautiful- um, example of, I think Socratic question, okay. a very beautiful thing. Like, and, and like, is there evidence? So you were, so what Dave was doing there honestly is making me feel a little bit better. And I'm being completely honest. It's like, was there evidence for or against my, my claim? Like, am I a bad dad? Mm-hmm. Is there evidence for that? I could probably find some. Like, I wanted to spend more time. Yeah. I could, you know. What I mean, it, but I'm thinking in black and white because is there evidence against that? Yes, there is actually evidence against it. Is it based on my on facts or is it based on my feelings? It's kind of based on my feelings. Is it? Was I thinking about it in black and white? Yeah, I kind of was. Could I be misinterpreting the evidence? Yes, absolutely. I mean, so it's it's just like a really nice getting those irrational thoughts out. Even saying, "Hey, I'm." I feel like I'm a bad dad. And then having someone kind of question that
1: yeah. feels good immediately. So my favorite part of the Socratic questioning is making sure that we not just provide all the evidence against, but you actually like hit him with the hard question of like, I want you to list the evidence that actually tells me that you're a bad dad. Cause like I feel like it's good for us to put that out there. Because if yeah. I'm it, it's not authentic, if I'm just sit telling you all the like the great things you do. It's authentic when we're looking at both and we're actually saying, well, all right, I understand that on this end you're feeling this way because of this. But like look at all the stuff that we have that gives you evidence. And like I feel like that's to me, like because ultimately what matters it doesn't matter what I say to you. It doesn't matter all the things we list. It matters what you take away from that. And if you just feel like oh he's just telling me a bunch of nice things about myself that, that's kind of what he's paid to do. You're not going to walk away feeling any different or it's not going to like sink in the same. When you actually like look at it, like, oh, I have this evidence for and this evidence against, and I can see that the evidence against is way bigger and way more powerful. I'm, You're probably going to internalize that at a significantly like greater rate than just- just 100%. The- and even if you dig in and like, so
0: say, you know, what's the reason why you feel like you're a bad dad? Oh, I don't see them enough what's the reason why you don't see them enough because I'm trying to create like a life for them. I'm trying to make a, a living for them. It's not for me. Right. So like, there's another thing pointing to, okay, so you're, you're working hard for them. So how can that make you a bad dad? It's like, tr- like, if this is true, then this must be true. That's the whole Socratic yeah. questioning thing. Let's think of like, an- like another one, like um, I'm a, you know, I'm afraid to fly in a plane because that's another thing we would think of you know, we would challenge that, like, what's the worst, what's the best, and what's the most likely outcome? That's another way I loved. I love to do it. If someone's having, like, a really hard time um with something, I like to say, like, what's the worst thing that could happen? And then I like to think of, like, what's the best thing that could happen?
1: Landing then, in the ocean and still having that chance for survival. <laughs> yeah, 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 right? So... The worst think, thing is it explodes in the air, and then we all just drop, and then... then the, the worst case scenario is, like, I don't know
0: You have diarrhea and the plane crashes and then the best, that's the worst thing that could happen. And then the best thing that could happen is, you know, you get on the plane and I mean, they're giving away money, whatever, but then the most likely outcome is you're going to get where you're going to go. And that's just kind of the way it's going to go. Cause the rest of it's kind of irrational, right? So what we're doing is cognitive restructuring. There's, we've having these cognitive de- distortions and we need to restructure them. So we need to identify These are rational thoughts. We need to evaluate them. We need to weigh the evidence for and against. And then we need to just replace them with more rational thoughts. Like you, we need to work on with you, you hearing a noise in the night and taking your bat all around the house. We need to kind of like. Which I have gotten better with. I I have gotten better. Right. It's not. I don't do it as much. So let's. All right. You, you have that. You hear a sound in the night. Yeah. What's your thought? What's a, what's
1: your thought? Oh, I'm getting like, it's a home invasion. So I actually had to do this with someone, and that helped me, actually, which is really interesting, right? He was waking up constantly through the night, hearing a noise. It turned out, so he, um, this is the second time I'm mentioning the same individual in this episode, so I hope he's, like, understanding these are just great examples, and he did good work. That's why I'm giving these examples. Uh, So he was, his mom, he was helping take care of his mom because of her illness, The, the, the fear itself was actually, he was afraid somebody was going to come in, enter his home and it would hurt his mom somehow. So it was actually, the fear was highlighting his level of protection he has for his mom. Mm -hmm. So identifying that was really big. Then the other thing to identify was, so you're waking up 20 times in the night and each time he was leaving his room and investigating the sound to make sure that his mom was okay. That, you know, nothing, there was no, no one entered the house. Out of those 20 times, how many times has it been an intruder? Zero. Zero. All right. So is it safe to say that the next night, 20 more times, zero intruders are going to be entering your home? So we started actually with, I'm going to allow you to get up one out of every five times that you hear a noise. Or we might have started smaller, like one out of every three times, I can't remember. But I basically wanted him to just t- continue to confirm to himself that every time I hear a noise, the likelihood that it is an intruder is less and less. So I can actually kind of ride the wave, which we talked about a little bit in the anxiety episode of, you know, that panic I'm feeling. I have to like allow myself to feel a discomfort, but just reach, you know, reminding myself the chance, the likelihood of this being an intruder is very low. I like the
0: idea of using history too like history of this your your the fear of something that's going to happen well how many times has it happened what is the history of it oh it's happened 0 times so i mean right now there's a 0% chance that it's going to happen your thought about it doesn't make it more or less likely right it doesn't change anything your thoughts don't change events they just change your mood yep that sucks so I wanted to, I wanted to talk about when we're talking about interventions, I just wanted to talk quickly about because this has all been cognitive like I wanted to just talk about one behavioral thing and that's behavioral activation. It's a very um, it's important to me I love it I, I use it all the time and that's just this idea of when we're depressed, most of the time it's a depression thing. yeah we we stop doing the things that we used to we used to enjoy and we think that when my, when my mood improves, I'm going to start doing these things again. The problem is that doesn't work that way because the more you're sitting around, not doing the things that you used to do, your mood's going to suck more and more and more. So the idea is to, you you don't wait for your, your mood to change to rejoin the world of the living. You you just start doing what you used to do, even though it doesn't feel authentic at all. You just start doing what you used to do and then the mood will follow. So
1: yeah, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, we, So a lot of times, I don't know if you were going to mention this, but like we might use forms for this one. Oh, absolutely. And have the person actually map out like, all right. Because like, all right. So for me to imagine that a person who's severely depressed, they're laying in bed, suddenly they're just going to go the (laughs) next day. Because I told them to, they're just going to like start tap dancing around the house and getting in the shower and then going out and doing all their daily tasks. Probably not going to happen. That's not realistic. But what I can say might be realistic is if, you know, the morning they wake up, Maybe they actually, you know, if they're, if they haven't been showering and they haven't been eating breakfast, maybe we pick one of those things. And that's our big goal for the next day. So maybe it's in you're shower. making
0: a great point. And that's why, that's why I think like people who just say, I'm a CBT therapist or I'm a, th- that's why you need the other elements. You need the therapeutic alliance. You need trust. You need the, to be able to reach out to that person and say like, look, do this for me. Like I'm working here with you. Do this for me. Like, can you take a shower? Can you take a five minute shower? I mean, and I, and all I want you to do is write down how you felt before, and then write down how you felt after, and bring it into me. That's I it. Ask
1: my, I ask my patients to do stuff for Greg all the time. So do this he for wants Greg. I want you to take a shower. I don't know. They're like, what? who's <laughs> Greg? It's the other guy in this office. You just don't see him. He's on opposite days as me. I already told you this. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs>
0: So that's my, I mean,
1: so the challenging those thoughts. Oh, so great. Um, Ultimately the goal, I just to recap behavioral activation. So like we're saying, it's like slow steps back to kind of normalcy. And the goal is eventually at some point you're kind of back in a normal routine and you're starting to feel some function of uh, enjoyment back from the things that should be giving you enjoyment. And like this, so we've used this before. I forget what episode it might've been like the final girl episode uh, opposite action. Oh, yeah. Essentially, behavioral activation is a form of opposite action, Mm -hmm. which I think is also a DBT thing. Kind of a Um, form of exposure, too, in a sense. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that's another way to frame it to people and another way that, like, all these things kind of overlap in some way or sort of look similar. But opposite action is basically, you know, doing the opposite of what the thing is making you want to do. So, if depression is making you want to stay in bed all day, guess what? We're not going to stay in bed today. So... It's just, but baby activation is like a slow progression away from it.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. There's another thing that I was just thinking of this because my, my son is on a travel basketball team. Right. And so I, I rely on my, I rely on my GPS a lot and Sunday it wasn't really working. Right. And it made me think of these automatic thoughts because you obviously were researching like dipping back into CBT and it's like, I'm driving around and my GPS is telling me to take a left. And when I look left, it's like a body of water. So I'm like, hmm, and it just made me think like, that's what our brains do to us. Sometimes they feed us these thoughts. And sometimes we we would just take a left right into the body of water. And then we're in a terrible place. But instead of doing that, when you get one of those automatic thoughts and it makes you feel down, think about it for a second, challenge it. No, I'm not going to take that left into the ocean. I'm going to, you
1: know, I'm going to do what I think, like, I'm going to challenge us a little bit and feel better about it. Can it, and- you explain what automatic thoughts are to people? Because I think you just do that term out, and that's. When we haven't used yet, but that is an important thought.
0: Just essentially those thoughts that are supplied to us from our core beliefs that say, you know, you're not good enough. You're not worth it. You're not smart enough. Like just these intrusive thoughts that pop into your brain and you just sort of accept them as fact. And that's, you know, where we really get ourselves into these gems. Like I'm not a good, like my, the father thing, like I'm not a good father. I'm, I'm not around enough. These are automatic thoughts. And left unchallenged, you feel like shit because they pile up and you think so low of yourself because you're being fed these things when really they're based in nothing. Yeah, They're based in nothing. And if you can challenge them, and that's why we were talking about in the beginning, CBT is basically the idea of creating a therapist out of your patient where when they're driving and they're having like, Oh, you're not good enough. You're, you're, you know, you don't ask that person out. They're not going to want to go out with you instead of just walking away from that situation. You say, Oh no, no. Now I learned to challenge my thoughts. Like what's the evidence that they're not going to want to go out with me is, you know, do I have just as good a shot as anybody else? Is it possible that something positive could come from this? Like the, the act of challenging the thoughts is something that becomes a practice in people's lives and really, really does change the way they feel. So I think that's the message here. If you can really, it's a long way to go to say, if you ch- can change the way you think, you can change the way you feel. That's 100%. Cool. And if you really want to dig into CBT, I think we both could recommend the podcast. I can't remember the name of it, but Feeling David good.
1: Burns. Feeling good. Feeling good, yeah. The, so David Burns is, is sort of like become the the new guru of CBT. Do you know he's a student of Aaron Beck? Yeah, I assumed he was. Yeah, like, I, mean, I didn't like, a- know that immediately, but I assumed it over time. Um, he, he is infamous for using therapeutic terms and theories and framing them and talking about them in ways that make sense to the modern people. And in so many ways, like the non-therapist person, basically, because so many, so many sources you read from, or you, you look here, it's hard to understand if you're not in the field. So his goal is to be able to talk to anybody and explain them these concepts without it going over their head. And I think in so many ways, I think that's influenced both you and I, Greg, Yeah. with how we talk to people. Cause like, I never want to talk to someone and have them feel like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Or this is like <laughs> the most convoluted thing I've ever heard in my life. People might say, you have no idea what you're
0: talking about when they're thinking of me, but they never say that opposite thing anymore. Right. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're, so that's good. I, yeah, no, totally. And I, I recommend him 100%. Because of because of that reason. I think he really finds a way. In fact, I remember we both um listened to an episode of his where he was talking to another he was in an, an act therapist. He might have been the creator of ACT. It was the, it was the
1: creator, yeah. And he was like, look, dude, I have no idea what you're talking about right now. Yeah. And he goes, and if I don't understand you, yeah, my listeners are definitely not gonna understand you. (laughs) And it's and people got upset. People like AC so ACT is acceptance commitment therapy. So that's an offshoot of CBT. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a really good one as well. And it's one we'll probably talk about. Good elements. There's good elements
0: to it for sure.
1: Acceptance is is huge for things that like are kind of long lasting or things that may not ever change. And they're just not enjoyable parts of life. So like there's a lot of great things about that theory, but you know, people were upset that love ACT because they would like thought he was talking down to him or that he was being bullying. That wasn't his intention. His intention is like, if we're going to explain, if we're going to have these theories and we want them to be helpful to people, people have to understand them. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the work, you know, as we're talking about CBT, a lot of the work is done outside of the therapy office. Yeah. So, like, if they don't understand it outside of when they're with their therapist, how is that helpful to them? That's the thing.
0: Like, a lot of people in our field like to hear them, I mean, like, a sound a certain way where it's like, that's not helpful.
1: Yeah. You know what I mean? That's not helpful. Just as you know, clear as can be. I think it's important that, you know, we sound, obviously, like, we at least know what we're talking about. That's important. But, like, aside from that, like we can talk rather casual and that's mm. not a problem at all. And I think I tend to in sessions. I have no choice. Think. It's just <laughs> the way. So Greg act is definitely an offshoot of CBT. I'll just kind of go through a couple more that um, I don't know if you have wanted to elaborate a little bit, but like, no, because these we'll these probably go through them all. And
0: you'll probably go yeah. through them all. D- I know DBT you're probably mentioned and that's another.
1: See, do you see how they like all kind of bounce off each other? They all kind of rip off. It's more acceptance really. So, dialectic behavioral therapies is dbt and it actually you know i end up using this quite a bit uh, and we'll talk about this probably in a, in another episode so this has been modified to work well it works a lot with children there's elements that are really good for connecting with kids and also with individuals with developmental disabilities marshall mm-hmm. linehan actually adapted the modified the curriculum for that quite a bit so that there's like groups that you can do, and um, that's something that like I utilize at my other work, where I you know work as a behavioral clinician.
0: Originally, so, like used for suicidal and borderline patients. Yeah. So, and then obviously like mindfulness, exposure therapy, EMDR, like all these things. We, these are all could be episodes in and of themselves. So
1: we don't really. EMDR them- is uh, just you know acronyms. I'm just to so people understand what we're talking about. Eye movement. Two other words, Mm -hmm. DR, Dominican Republic. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) No, I I forget what the full acronym stands for, but essentially it's this uh, way of treating trauma patients through use of eye movements and other things that Greg and I are not specialists in yet, but maybe down the road will become. Uh, But it is a very uh, upcoming and popular strategy right now. Yeah, it is. you know, it's it's something that I think people are getting more and more familiar with. So, yeah. All right. Well, I think that we've kind of beaten this one down. What do you think? I actually feel like maybe we beat it up. <laughs> like that. But dude, you just changed. I did
0: the way and I that, was thinking, and about you it.
1: immediately perked up, Greg. Dude, this stuff works fast. Change the way you think. Change the way you feel. That's it. That's it. All so. right all right well everyone thank you and as always we super appreciate feedback and if you'd be willing we would love to hear what you think about our episodes so please feel free to leave us you know messages on social media or if you have the time leave a review and a rating on any of the platforms you listen to that allow it apple podcast definitely allows for a review and we'd be interested to hear what you guys think and especially you know about some of these current episodes So thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week. Have a great night.